finished our series called The Rooted Life, where we were talking about Acts 2, 42 through 47, and really diving into that pretty much this entire year so far, talking about the practices that root us in the Lord. Today, we're looking ahead to 40 days to Easter. Uh, Easter, Easter Sunday is coming up on March 31st. Now, we are going to have a few events that we're going to be doing as we lead up to Easter Sunday. We're calling this 40 days of prayer and consecration, 40 days to Easter. And what we're going to do is we're going to worship, we're going to, uh, we're going to pray, we're going to receive communion together, uh, and we're just going to begin, we're going to sort of put our foot down and kick off this season of consecration, of, of submitting ourselves to God and, and praying and diving into uh, some of the practices that we were looking at in Acts 2.42 as we lead up to Easter Sunday. We look ahead to the resurrection of Jesus, but for today, we recognize what he's done with us and what he's done for us. He, he, uh, he sacrificed himself, and it was his death that covers our sin. It's his resurrection that sanctifies us and gives us eternal life and brings us into right standing with the Father. And so what we, what we want to do is we want to re- revisit some of the basic practices of concert, some, of the, some of the ways that we separate ourselves to God. So worship and prayer and fasting. We'll talk about fasting in just a minute. Um, and just these things that we do to devote ourselves to the Lord in, in, in a more unique way, a more intense way that, that he can begin to transform our hearts. Uh, but let me pray. Father, I thank you for the time that we have together. I thank you for speaking uh, through me and the Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would uh, that you would speak to us very intimately, very individually, the things that we are needing to hear from you today. Lord, I surrender myself to you as a vessel, and I just ask that it would be your Spirit, your heart, your words that are communicated here in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So fasting, fasting, because there's nothing people like to talk about more on a Super Bowl Sunday than fasting, right? Yes. So pumped to not eat nachos tonight. I'm so excited. Uh, and we typically think of fasting as being uh, fasting from, from food, which is absolutely a part of it. But fasting is a practice of sacrificing something, denying ourselves something that we would typically rely upon for comfort or for, for provision or for sustenance. And I'm, I'm looking at you, bread. You know, that's, uh, that's what I rely on when I, when I need a quick fix, I need some sustenance, I need that belly full, boom, I hit the bread. Uh, but what would I do if I couldn't just reach for the bread? Well, I would cry first, and then I would, like, look for chips. But after that, after that, uh, I, when we don't have the thing handy, or when we've consciously decided to not rely on that thing from the world, then as I said a moment ago, we have space and capacity and focus to ask the Lord to provide that for us, to be that sustenance, to be that comfort. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I eat because I'm a little stressed and I need to eat something because that's going to make me feel better in the short term. In the long term, it makes me regret my choices. But in the short term, it makes me feel a little better. But that's not what God wants me to do when I need comfort. He wants me to come to him. He wants me to rely upon him and not rely upon whatever happens to be in my cupboard. That's only short term, and that's fading away, and that's passing. But the comfort that he provides is everlasting. And the comfort that he provides, as we mentioned in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, 
He is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that I could ask or think. I just have to remember to ask him and to think about it. So fasting is typically, we talk about that as abstaining from food or eating sparingly or abstaining from some things that we typically eat. But there are, there are many things that we can fast. I was talking with Stu earlier this week, and we were talking about how um, <laughs> if you say to yourself, I'm really going to fast from broccoli this, this season... I just, you know, I'm going to fast from squid. I just really think that that's something that I can do without, or whatever it is, whatever gross, disgusting thing we're thinking, that's not fasting. That's not fasting because fasting at its heart is about sacrifice. It's about, it's about putting aside the thing that you want, the thing that you would normally go to in the flesh. It's about putting those things aside and instead creating that room for the Lord. So, there are lots of things that we turn to for comfort and things that aren't food, right? We have, uh, we, last year, I was mentioning this earlier, last year I, I, I did fast during this 40-day period. I fasted from some, some food things, but one of the things that made the biggest impact on my life was to fast from all my social media feeds. I just, I, I just put those apps, like I, the icons weren't on my screen, they were just, they were just gone. And they're, they're back now because I'm, I'm weak, but... They are, they, I'm about to do it again. Uh, so, uh, you know, fasting from social media, because that's one of the places where in our society today we find comfort. We find identity, even if it's not exactly the identity God wants us to have. It's a place where we feel like we're being fed, we're being filled, is through all these various social media streams that come to us. It fills our day. It fills our heads. It fills our heart. And so... We need to ask ourselves, is that something, is that one of the things that we could do without so that my head, my heart can be filled with something else, right? So there's a lot of things that we can fast from. That's just, you know, that's just an example, but fasting identifies us with this concept that Jesus knew all too well of sacrifice, of putting aside something that would be much easier to do the harder thing. And, and when we do that, we, we grow in gratitude for the sacrifice that Jesus made. If I can sacrifice this little thing, it's hard for me, but if I can do it with his strength, then how much more gratitude do I have for the huge sacrifice that he made for me? I realize I might be stretched to the limits just trying to stay off sugar, but Jesus sacrificed everything for me. And how much gratitude that grows in my heart. We also fast to remind ourselves that our sustenance our provision, our identity don't come from anything in this world. All of that comes from the Lord. That's how we are designed. That's how he created us. Now, over the course of, of church history, individual and corporate fasting has been encouraged to do some very specific things or to focus us on some very specific things like repentance of sin, uh, community forgiveness, uh, concentrating on the work of God and opening up our eyes to what it is that he's doing to make us more aware of his presence and to seek his guidance. So I want to share three very quick things in case you're wondering, why, why do we fast? Why should I do that? Um, here's three quick things. So why do we fast? Number one, fasting cultivates a hunger for God. Jesus told his disciples in John 4, 27 through 34, he basically told them, I have food that you don't know of. 
They said, you must be hungry. You, we, we have to feed you. And Jesus said, I have food that you don't know of. His food was to do the will of his father who sent him. That's what he was sustained on. And what we find, not only in the natural, but in the spirit, is that whatever we begin to consume, we begin to crave. Whatever we consume, like in, in, in our natural bodies, if you consume a bunch of sugar, your body is going to learn that, oh, this is what I'm supposed to have. Oh, I guess I operate off sugar now. Okay, well, if I feel like I'm low on sugar, I'm going to tell Darren, I need more sugar. My body does that really well. So if we consume a lot of something, we begin to crave it. Now, on the other hand, if we deny ourselves of some things that are those comfort foods for long enough, we find that we don't really crave them anymore. And we start to crave the things that we are consuming. And it's the same in the spirit. It's the same in our spiritual lives. If I'm consuming more of the Lord, taste and see that the Lord is good. And once I taste and I see that goodness, it, I just, I want more. I want more of him. And that's by design. That's why he invites us to partake of him so that we can see how good it is, how much better it is than the things that we feed ourselves on in the natural world. And by doing so, our cravings change. And we begin to crave more of him. So fasting cultivates a hunger for God. It reminds us that God is our provider and that Jesus is actually the bread. He's the bread of life. Second thing, fasting encourages spiritual and physical discipline. Fasting is hard. Not only that, but several of the things that we're putting out there for these 40 days of prayer and consecration, having a daily prayer schedule can be hard. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't always, if it hasn't been our practice, then it feels like, okay, it's a little complicated trying to fit this in to my life. I think what... God is trying to get us to do is to not think we have to fit that in, but fit life into our practices. Not fit our practices into life, but fit our life into practices. So, so fasting encourages some spiritual and physical discipline. Saying no to some food, saying no to uh, the social media when it's calling us, saying no to, to negativity when negative thoughts come in. If I decide I'm going to fast from judgment, I'm just not going to judge people. That's, that's hard. That's hard. Uh, I don't know if it's hard for you. It's hard for me. Is that okay to say? Okay, good. <laughs> good. So fasting, though, from these things that we go to so quickly and so easily, it takes discipline. It takes focus. It takes us being committed to a plan and sticking with it. And that's not easy. But I will say it this way, that when we fast, when we engage in these practices of consecration, we're exercising the same spiritual muscles that we have to exercise to say no to sin. Because it's the same. It's all temptation, right? We don't, you know, we, we are tempted to sin. We're tempted to turn our backs on God. We're tempted to not do the thing he's asked us to do. We're tempted to disobey the thing he's called us to. In the same way that if I've made a commitment to him and that thing that I've said I'm giving up comes calling, I'm tempted to go and get it and turn my back on what I've said I would do. Turn my back on the obedience that I'm trying to, to display for the Lord. So it, we, we exercise the same spiritual muscles to say no to sin that we do to, to, to commit ourselves to daily prayer or, 
or to joining, joining and staying with a small group or to fasting something. And number three, fasting prepares us for something new. Luke 5, 33 through 39, they said to Jesus, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so did the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and in those days, they will fast. Fasting prepares us for something new. What he's forecasting for the disciples is, right now, they have easy access to me. I'm here with them all the time, face to face. They can ask me anything. I'm in their presence all the time, but the situation for them is about to change. I'm going to be taken from them in in the physical. They're not going to have that type of access to me. And when that changes, then they will need to fast because they will need to, they'll need to reset their patterns. They'll need to reset the reliance that they had on things in the natural and they'll have to fast so that they can reset their focus and their priorities upon me, so they can hear my voice, so they can know that I'm still there. There's a big change coming for these disciples, and when that change comes, they'll need to fast to really hone themselves in on where I am and what I'm doing in them. And it's the same for us. There's big changes coming. It's the only thing we can count on is that things will change in this world. But when things change, it's up to us to discipline ourselves, to dive that much deeper into the one who changes not, right? And so as I'm talking about practices, as I'm talking about, um, you know, acts of consecration, prayer and fasting and worship and studying the scriptures, um, to people who aren't familiar with, uh, with our Christian walk, and sometimes even to us, we need to be reminded that we, we need to not get it switched around. We talk about things like fasting. And because we, we want to, I want to, I'm going to fast and I want to see God move. And we think maybe that one comes before the other. And the chronology of that is different, I think, than we look at it sometimes. Um, two important terms that, that I want to make sure that we define uh, consecration because we're talking about a season of prayer and consecration. What does it mean to consecrate? It means to dedicate something for the purposes of service or worship. Now, these 40 days leading up to Easter, this is something we should be doing with ourselves all year long. But in these 40 days leading to Easter, we want to reset. We want to we recalibrate. We want to once again put this at the forefront. What are we dedicating to the Lord during these 40 days? What is it that we're dedicating to Him? ourselves, right? We're dedicating ourselves. When I'm talking about a a season of prayer and consecration, I'm not talking about consecrating some act. I'm not talking about consecrating some idol or some object. I'm talking about we're going to present ourselves to the Lord, and we're going to tell Him, I'm dedicating this vessel for the purposes of serving you and worshiping you. No matter where I am with that right now, I'm doubling down. I'm diving in. I am going to, I'm going to dedicate myself for the purposes of service and worship. Now, that's for us to do. That's for us to do. If we're not careful, we can think that we're doing it to produce a result from God. I'm really going to pray. I'm really going to fast. I'm really going to, and God is going to do something. He very well may do something at the same season that we're praying and fasting, but it's not because I acted that he did something he wasn't already planning on doing, right? Uh, 
so let's talk about sanctification. Sanctification is to set apart as sacred or holy, purified, free from sin. To set apart as sacred or holy, purified and free from sin. Now, I can, I can consecrate myself. I can dedicate myself to service and worship, but I can't sanctify myself. To set apart as sacred or holy, purified, free from sin, that's not my department. That is the Lord. Only He can do that. Only He can do that. And so as we're, as we're talking about prayer and consecration and fasting, these are practices. They're acts of consecration that as we surrender more deeply to God's presence, it releases um, or it makes us more aware of His power in our lives, but our practices don't come first. And our practices don't sanctify us. Our acts of consecration don't sanctify us. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. We don't create His power. We only respond to it. We don't create His power. We only respond to it. We consecrate ourselves because of the sanctification that we've already received through Jesus. We consecrate ourselves in response to what He's already done in our lives. According to 1 Peter 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 2, the Holy Spirit sanctifies us in two ways. It's the Holy Spirit that does this. It makes us, puts us in right standing with God. He sets us apart in Christ, and then he works in us continually so that we can be obedient to Jesus. So we say yes to Jesus. We, we say, Lord, you have my heart. Take my heart. I, I, take all of me. I want to follow you. I want to serve you. And when we do, the Holy Spirit sets us apart and sanctifies us. We receive Jesus in our heart, and all of a sudden, all the, the work of the cross is manifest in our life. We are made righteous. We are made, we are made whole. We are, we are seen by God as the way that he sees Jesus. We are identified with Christ at that point. And then the Holy Spirit remains, continually enabling us to be obedient to what he's called us to. That's sanctification. Through this sanctification of the Holy Spirit, we get a new position in God. We get a new position. We are made sons and daughters of the Most High, right? We, we, we are sons of, and daughters of God by adoption. We're part of the family. And we're, we're infilled with a new power, the power of the Holy Spirit. So prayer and consecration aren't so that God can see our actions and be moved to respond. Prayer and consecration is in response to the power that's already at work in our lives. And that's why I want to go back very quickly to Acts 2, 42 through 47. We've been here all year long uh, because we haven't really been talking about the power of the Holy Spirit, but we've seen it indirectly in Acts 2, 42 through 47. We haven't said this is the power of God at work, but when you see what they're doing, the practices that they're engaging in, We've seen the power of God at work. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily 
those who were being saved. Now, these are practices. These are things that they are doing, but they're not things that they are doing to try to get God to release his power. These are things that they are doing because God has already released his power into their lives. And this is what it created in them. It created a spirit in them that wanted unity with the other people. It created generosity in them. It created a willingness to sacrifice and to give. It created love in them. So it's not something, these aren't practices. And when we are in these 40 days, these aren't practices to try to get God's power to move. These are responses to the power that he's already poured out in our lives. This is us saying, yes. This is us saying, God, you, you set us on a different path, and this is how we want to walk it out. So uh, Peter, at this, at this moment, and, and uh, he's quoting from the book of Joel. Oh, because in... We talked just a second ago about the practices. These practices are a response to an experience to the presence. Acts 2, 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And to those who didn't understand, Peter explained it this way. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above, signs on the earth below, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The things we see going on in verses 42 through 47 aren't an attempt to access his power. They're a response to the power that he's poured out on them already, to the things that he's spoken through the prophets years ago, to the things that they've already received. When he fills you, it comes out of you. And that's what these practices are. Our practices don't fuel God's power. It's his power that fuels our practices, right? Peter described it this way in 2 Peter. He said, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection add love. So Peter is telling them, The Spirit of God has been poured out in you. You've been changed. You've been transformed. Now, is there still work for you to do? Are there still practices so that you can be in line with what you're called to? Absolutely there are. And that's why he tells them, it's up to you to add to your faith goodness and add knowledge and add self-control and add perseverance. But it's important to recognize that these are things that We want to practice to add to our faith, but they don't come aside from the power of the Spirit that's in us and the power of the Spirit that's working through us to obey Jesus. It's all about the presence of God inside of us. And so in that sense, the Bible isn't just telling us like, hey, you need to change and good luck with that. 
That'd be terrible, right? The Bible's not saying, hey, Jesus came and sacrificed himself for you. You need to change. I really think you can do it. I feel good about you. The Bible's not saying that, right? Thank goodness. The word isn't telling us that we need to change and then saying, I think you can do it. The word is telling us you have been changed. You have been transformed. Now, this is how you walk in it. That's what the word is telling us. And that's what, as we look ahead to Resurrection Sunday, that's what these 40 days coming up are about. It's for us to come back to that place where we remember who the word says we are, what we have become, what he has made us, what he, how he has transformed us. So we're not looking to Easter and saying, okay, I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to do that, because I really got to get holy before Easter. That's not how it works. We don't get holy before Easter by practicing something. We are made holy through the sacrifice, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. We are made holy because he called us holy, because he gathered us to himself. And then he says, now, with that realization of who you are in me, go walk. Go walk forward. Go walk forward. We're looking to the resurrection to remind us that in his power, he's already called us holy. He's already put us in right standing. And that the power of the Holy Spirit is what motivates us and strengthens us to exercise our devotion. 40 days to Easter, this season of prayer and consecration is not about doing things to make us into something. It's about getting, it's about surrendering to the Lord so that he can remind us who we already are. And he can show us how he wants us to walk that out. When you take a step of faith, which is what entering into a season of fasting or prayer, anytime you take a step of faith in something, there's always a battle. There's always a war inside. Sometimes there's a war that comes from the outside. There's always a battle. But we must remember who we are in Him and who we have inside. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have victory. We have victory. And He's able to do exceedingly and abundantly in us and through us far above what we could ask or what we could think. 